everyone and welcome to another uh exciting episode of grim dark tales uh podcast edition um we are in another episode that uh i dubbed the first one fluff for the fluff god um and uh we'll just be talking specifically about the narrative lore and fluff of the game and aspects of it that uh interest us in particular um today i'm joined by again by the wonderful noel Hey guys, uh, Noel. Uh, as as everyone should know at this point, is awesome. And, no, uh, do though. <laughs> uh, we we, I guess the jury's still out on that. Who is more awesome between the two of us? You know, I, only time will tell. I, I, I think it's like you said, like by the powers combined, <laughs> we are Captain Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, we. Uh, We've been talking a bit um, in prep for this podcast episode, and we both sort of decided that an interesting topic, I know it can kind of be done to death, but I feel like, Noel, you're an interesting enough guy, and your perspective is nuanced and researched enough that I think this should still be interesting. And our discussion is going to be about um, our favorite uh, legions um, and primarchs. and. we thought because this is such a huge uh, topic that we would split this into the loyalist and traitor legions. Um, so today we'll be doing the loyalists. Um, yeah. And then next time around, we'll get into the, uh, the juicier uh, aspects of the, the legions with the, the traitors. Yeah. Um, and well, the third bonus episode of the alpha legion and dark angels. Yeah. That should be like its own, thing yeah. clearly uh yeah. those people walk a special line between yeah. loyalties the ones um, that fence. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um okay so yeah i mean we can just uh we can just get into it um yeah. and i guess i'm i'm happy to start with uh with you noel and see maybe just what what one of your favorite legions are or your most favorite if you want to get right to it or if you want to work up to that that's fine as well Okay, sweet. So, um, I don't know. So, uh, well, I do know. But, um, <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, I'm loyalists. I'd say on a superficial level, just yep. as in the whole premise of Angels of Death, uh, mm-hmm. I, I love the aesthetics of the Blood Angels. Yeah. Um, with the Sanguinary Guard, the Death Masks, um, and just, um, j- just, just the way they look. I just find yeah. it. Um, but that's kind of really where it ends on that front. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're great, but mm-hmm. my favorite. Um, yes. Fluff wise and law wise, um, my favorite Legion kind of really it sneaks up on me this way because it wasn't initially one I'd ever really thought of, but just from reading the lore and books about the um, you know, heroes in space, Marines, uh, yeah. especially with the Horus Heresy novels. Um, the one chapter or legion that kind of really strikes a chord with me is the White Scars. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. I feel like so few people talk about the White Scars, you know, in in uh, in abundance, and and I 
am very interested to see what you think about them. Yeah, um, it, it kind of is. It's one of those. It's the, it, it's one of the lesser known chapters, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not even one of the shattered legions, um, and very little said of them back in the day. Kind of, you know, even with um, the initial fluff and lore about the siege of terror, just right. that they're present and that they're quite elusive. Uh, and also just the quite insular as a chapter as well, even compared mm. to other chapters that kind of, you know, they're renowned for keeping their own traditions and ways kind of secret from the greater, greater Imperium. Right. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, they're always, um, I mean, the white scars, it, it, they kind of, the law developed quite well, I think just with them being just so insular and so like I say elusive um, and the fact that no one really during the Horus heresy or after kind of knows where they are right, um, yeah. they do um, just that they kind of hit fast and very suddenly in hit and run attacks mm-hmm. uh, and they're obviously you know really adapted to that um, yeah. you know given the fact that the whole chapter is based around that um, which I always find funny when it comes to the law, not the law, but the actual crunch of the game, <laughs> where they're kind of, you know, they're kind of outshone by the Raven Wing, who... I know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, for me, it's just like they seem to be, you know, the, the actual epitome of kind of the lightning fast strike, you know, on, uh, you know, bikes and you know, uh, jump pack marines and, you know, very salty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it's it, it's kind of one of those things. I just like the fact that um, with the White Scars as well, they're very um, honor-driven, probably more so than a lot of others, but they're not as, um, their character isn't quite as dour. Um, they take a real pride and joy in what they do, even the fact that kind of um, many of the characters, they're known to be laughing as they go into battle, um, yeah. you know, which kind of draws on a lot in kind of Mongolian and, you know, um, Eastern um, history as well. Yeah. With regards to kind of, you know, it's just like, you know, they enjoy what they're doing um, and they find real actual joy um, in it. Um, and also kind of the fact that they bring a very kind of like almost war as an art form to them. Uh, mm-hmm. So much so kind of, you know, they actually, you know, sing, um, you know, or not only into battle, but, um, you know, just kind of around the campfires and kind of everything afterwards. Right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, they have a just very kind of it's almost they almost seem savage, you know, which draws a parallel to kind of, you know, um space walls, etc. Yeah. But I just think that kind of their sense of honor and justice and just their joy of um what they do in the name of the emperor kind of just really is uh, you know, it's it's, it's kind of like a nice light chord. Um, in a very yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. And I think, you know, you touch on an important uh, point, I think, which is that many, and, and this is the, tr- this is the case of, of most science fiction, I would say, where, um, you know, various uh, disparate cultures seem to draw upon existing cultures from um, actual human history. And the white scars, definitely have like a mongol uh vibe to them they they ride bikes uh they fight from you know their steeds the way that mongolians were famous for being their horseback archers and Mm -hmm. um they they adopt actually some of the same sort of it looks like uh physical aspects as in like the way that they they maintain their hair and um 
and different things like that. And, and it seems like culturally, like, you know, in and out of battle, they, they adopt some of the Mongolian sort of specific martial traditions and the way that, um, you know, those things sort of are, are intrinsic to their, to their culture or were. Yeah, the parallel is definitely there, even down to um, some of their preferred weapons as well. Like they have yeah. the Grandal, um, which is almost like this uh, scimitar halberd uh, type weapon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, which kind of, yeah, again, draws that parallel back to kind of, you know, English history. Well, not English history, but, you know, general human history. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, is that and kind of even down to a certain bits where um, I think it's told a little bit more in the Horace Heresy books uh, mm-hmm. but down to even kind of like scarification practices they do uh, yeah it's kind of like yeah. mark out um, you know just uh, tides and battles and you know honour markings really mm-hmm. uh, yeah again it just adds a lot of flavour I think to quite an unsung chapter and it's uh, it's a shame they don't kind of uh, get more prominence I think uh, yeah yeah I agree hmm. um, and, and also you know there's the there's the ideological, there's one obvious striking difference other than the fact that they're like superhuman space warriors as opposed to, you know, ancient normal human warriors. But there's also the ideological factor that Mongols were often um, just sort of claiming territory and expanding, um, Mm. you know, their, their territory in the way that humans often did historically speaking. But um, I guess one could argue that, the emperor's mission is is one of nobler intention um mm. than than what like historical human you know tribalism has has often been for and in that regard you could say maybe the white scars they inherit much of the cultural sort of platitudes but they they also really seem to fight from a from a noble place um yeah. and they have very noble hearts it seems like so yeah. Um it seems like that's often the case with uh you know when legions seem to adopt something from historical human culture it seems like where they differ is often just that their their altruism seems to be much stronger or mm. you know their their selflessness of cause because they believe in something uh altogether more righteous than most humans historically have it seems so. Yeah. Um, and kind of like um they 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 seem as well for me, like with a few other legions that kind of, you know, are around, it's um, they, the White Scars probably, you, you can band in the Salamanders as well. Um, they, you know, they, they, they kind of almost, there's in the books, they take humans and, you know, other, um, you know, parts of humanity under their wing and don't feel that it's too much of a burden or, you know, that it's a thing, um, mm-hmm. you know. It's just a case of like you know, we're all striving to the same goal. Um, obviously, I'm more beautiful power, and I'm, I'm going to lead the way, kind of thing. But there's yeah. there's that kind of protectiveness you kind of get from um, how they've been written that you kind of don't get where it's like, say, for example, with other chapters where it's begrudgingly given, uh, almost. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's totally true. Check their humanity, really, um, probably more so than other legions. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think, kind of, again, I think is it, it's good. It's it's that kind of um, it's we're all fighting in you know the greater humanity for this uh, for the benefit of mankind. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then there's just some. I also kind of found that I'm not sure how read you up, but 
read up you are on um, the White Scars, but because um, I know you'd be starting to read some Horace Heresy novels yourself. Yep. I haven't actually seen too. Honestly, the only experience I've had reading about White Scars and heresy novels so far is I'm I'm currently reading A Thousand Sons, and mm-hmm. um, they're yeah, it's a fantastic book. But the the you know there's that great moment during the the uh, the Council at Nikea where the White Scars uh, librarian essentially attempts to defend um, Magnus's endeavors into the. Um, you know, researching the warp and, and he defends the use of the librarius conclaves because mm. he sort of compares it to, you know, a, a weapon as any other that should be learned to be used instead of feared and, and completely disbanded. And, um, you know, I, regardless of where you fall on the matter, I think he presented such a, a noble and convincing argument and, and the voice with which he did it was so unique because I'd never, um, you know, read anything of the white scars as being spoken firsthand. And yeah. I, I think that moment did such a great job of like really showing how unique they are. Um, yeah. and, and also maintaining their, their incredible nobility and their, their, you know, sort of their great way that they approach things with, there's a logic to it, but they mm. wouldn't, do things if they didn't you know have some semblance of of humanity in them and yeah. it comes from a great uh, place of great i think um just care for the situation and care for others that mm-hmm. they would even seek to defend um the conclave in the eyes of the emperor you know and defend magnus um despite the fact that mortarian sort of just chewed him out for being a psyker more or less yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, and it's one of those things uh, whereby, um, yeah, I mean, there's they, although the White Scars are very, very distant compared to all other ch- chapters, uh, really, they keep themselves very much themselves, <laughs> even during the Horus Heresy, and afterwards they became even more, like I say, insular. But, um, I mean, yeah, the, the incident, the um, Council of Nikia, uh, Nikia, um, however you pronounce it, <laughs> um, yeah, the guy they're talking about who kind of like, spoke for for um you know the library's conclave mm-hmm. uh, um the guy was called targutai um yusege, or mm-hmm. yusege. um he's an absolute boss in the boss yeah. um and again this is quite shamanistic you know because they're not um necessarily they don't call themselves librarians or psychers they call themselves storm seers. so right. it's kind of a very um it's kind of this very much drawn from nature, very much again like the you know um, space wolves, yeah, uh, where they call upon you know nature and kind of it's, it's very much kind of almost a Gaia kind of underlying theme behind the way they actually draw upon the warp, um, yeah. which kind of you know I, again I think kind of from his unique standpoint and the way the white scars are um you know it was a it was a great argument for librarians yeah uh, and they're kind of not inherently evil and the fact that kind of you know again you know like any weapon if it can be tempered and not used indiscriminately and with respect the you know um that basically it can be used for a force of good rather yeah. than not it's you know it's the hand that wields the blade rather than the blade itself right um so yeah I, I, and um <laughs> It's a shame because you haven't read like further on, but I mean, obviously you've had a taste of you say, you, you, you see, um, he is an absolute boss. Yeah. Uh, 
and there's a few other books where he makes an appearance and um, every single one of them he just has this amazing presence yeah, um, yeah. but there's this ultimate thing that happens in um, Path of Heaven mm-hmm. which you haven't read it yet it's probably nope. one of the best books uh, about the white scars because nice. obviously even during the Horus Heresy I'm going to keep this as spoiler free as possible mm. um, even the white scars don't really know where they stand and everything because they've been so distant and away right. from everything. Um, so when they do essentially kind of hear about the greater um, heresy that's happening, uh, they don't really know where they stand because back in the day, obviously, they um, when they were you know before they the legion actually joined with um, um, the great Khan, um, you know, Jagati. Uh, mm-hmm. There was obviously a very strong link with the Sons of Horus. Uh, right. As such, the warrior lodges were also implemented in the White Scars. And mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a thing that goes on. Um, so they don't even know kind of where they stand, really. Uh, and that plays out again very beautifully, uh, showing kind of, you know, the fractious nature of, you know, where Marines are, even within chapters, but right. also how that comes about and essentially, you know, how that progresses as well with the white scars and um, the choices that um, Jagati has to make as well. It's um, it's it's a great read, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very excited to read that. I, I'm really excited to see more of the, the white scars in general. Yeah, um, they're um, super cool. Yeah, I mean Jubal Khan um, is one of the big characters that kind of comes along with it as well as um, oh, I think it's Hibu. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, again, just really really cool. Yeah, and um, Khan Khan is like a a title, right? It's like a type of war chief or something for them? Yeah, so um, I mean, when um, Jagati landed on um, Chagoris, um, or Mundus Planus, which is the most boring Latin, kind of, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) sort of high gothic kind of name, it's like so literal and silly. Um, So yeah, Chagoris, when he landed, there was obviously, you know, much like Mongolia, you know, plains as far as the eye can see, natural mm-hmm. the world is. Um, but there was obviously, you know, lots and lots of warring tribes. Uh, it was only Jagati that basically managed to, you know, despite the fact that there was a crazy amount of bloodshed, um, actually band together disparate tribes um, under one under one banner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, while he honoured the fact that they had their each, uh, you know, each of the brotherhoods and each of the tribes had their own thing um, mm-hmm. that would be kept, um, that, you know, essentially they bow down to the great Khan, which, you know, he became. Yeah. Um, and, you know, abided by his laws and his way of war. Um, again, you know, just working towards, um, you know, just, the greater goal of, um, you know, being at peace and actually, you know, just, um, working together, um, yeah. um you know, for the greater good, <laughs> <laughs> the greater good. Yeah. yeah. I tried to try to avoid saying that, but, you know, came <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and again, um, that kind of, you know, the brotherhoods, you know, um, you know, because they're all very nomadic, um, you know, eventually when they, you know, got indoctrinated into this, you know, to become the white scars, mm-hmm. uh, then again, you know, the blood feuds and everything were, you know, obviously stopped. Um, yeah. and you know, as such, you know, brought them together a lot further. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, um, that's kind of you know a little bit about it. But yeah, calm. Sorry, which is your actual question? Yeah, is is a title. Uh, <laughs> even isn't much as that. So you've got the great calm, um, which was obviously Jagatti. Right. Uh, even now, I think after the after the heresy. Um, that no one really has, um, although there is the great Khan, as it were, which is the chapter master. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit more separate than that. So, I mean, within there, you've got the different brotherhoods and each right. of them have, you know, certain facets and ways that they go about um, war in similar ways to chapters, but disparate enough to be, um, you know, interesting and a little bit more unique than, you know, um, your, your traditional Codex Astartes chapters are. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, within that, um, I mean, for example, you've got, um, trying to think now who's, so, I mean, I think the most, um, famous one is the one where, uh, I mean, in going, jumping back to like 40 K you've got mm-hmm. a, one of the most famous cars at the moment, which is Corsaro Khan, um, mm-hmm. which is part of the, yeah, I'm going to say third brotherhood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Third Brotherhood. If I'm wrong, I'm really, really sorry. But, <laughs> no, Third Brotherhood. Um, yeah, which is um, the Eagle Brotherhood. So with them, they have the, um, t- I mean, essentially, he, of course, Orokan, he's given the t- title of Master of the Hunt. Right. Uh, so within there, um, one of the great things about, again, going into the history in the chapter of, of the chapter, um, after Horus Heresy, um, Jagati actually led a hunt um, because when he returned back to his home worlds, he realized what happened and there were lots of raids happening with Dark Eldar, etc. And a lot of um, a lot of um, the the populace was essentially stolen away. Right. So he performed the great hunt in as much as then he got lost eventually to the webway. Um, but um, ever since then, it's something of a tradition of what they've done. Um, and when they go to war or they go on, you know, a campaign, um, you know, it's generally called the hunt. And right. within that kind of Corsaro Khan being the master of the hunt would generally lead, you know, um, some of the bigger assaults um, into the greater Imperium, so, you know, for the benefit. Um, one of the more recent ones being, um, I suppose, probably actually the Damocles Crusade. When, yeah, I was going to mention the Damocles Crusade, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, within there, there was uh, two main chapters that um, participated in that, one being the White Scars, the other one being the Raven Guard. Right. Um, and Kasura Khan has this um, wonderful story arc in it where um, he's trying to hunt down the Shadow Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they keep they have this amazing game of... Um, hunting you know essentially kind of who's the better hunter like cat uh, and mouse kind of yeah thing. very very cat and mouse because obviously kasarkan you know you know literally he is the master of the hunts however yeah. um with um shadow sun being kind of you know um adept in kind of you know what's called the cow young which is the patient hunter um, right he would essentially through subterfuge and kind of um you know um leading people away kind of you know form traps and it's very much as this cat and mouse thing that happened throughout um yeah. And it's great as it kind of progressed because there was this definite begrudging kind of respect that they had of each other. Okay. Uh, through, th- despite the fact it was kind of like, no, your head's going to your head's going to go back to the imperial, you know, <laughs> and kind of you know it's going to be on the spikes on the gates on you know back to the kind of you know the actual fortress monastery, yeah. but um, you know never quite happened because uh, they got called away. 
But um, yeah, I think kind of, you know, that's going to be a great little thing, hopefully, uh, that they'll kind of like have another altercation later on now that, yeah. um, you know, it's gonna, the Citrix Maladies can come through. Because, uh, but if you get one last face off or, you know, at least another face off, even if it's going to be end in a stalemate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully not another one of them dying because, you know, I mean, Shadow Sun's already managed to kill off uh, a chapter master. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. I I think um, that also really is telling of like we were talking about the sort of deep nobility of spirit within the White Scars, you know, despite the fact that Shadow Sun is this sworn enemy of the Imperium and his orders are, you know, without fault to destroy the enemy, not to compromise or or defeat in battle, but like to actually destroy the Tau. Yeah. And, um, you know, his takeaway is that he he learns this incredible respect for her and, and her martial prowess and the way she conducts battle because, you know, she she is this incredible, uh, mm. not just uh, warrior, but a leader of people and um, and her tactics rival his own. And he mm. sees that and he is willing to appreciate it and he's willing to, allow, you know, he allows himself uh, to respect it. And I think, uh, not all space Marine legions or chapters are sort of, uh, big enough, uh, uh, to, to reach that understanding and certainly not all Imperium forces. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, there are certain legions and chapters that I think have that grand nobility that allows them to deeply respect their opponents, even if they are pitted against them. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Completely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, um, I mean, within there as well, I mean, I like the fact that, um, I don't know what my point was going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact as well that, um, just, yeah, I, I, I think it's kind of one of those, it's, it's just an honor thing, but it's also, I like the fact that in contrast to, say other chapters as well again just drawing back to space wars because they're kind of banded together as being very um you know savage like uh, yeah. and kind of you know almost uncouth because um of the way they behave um to, right. you know outward appearances um i like the fact that despite that um like i say like even against like space wars it seems to me anyway that um, the white scars in the 40, you know, the 41st, 42nd millennium, um, they still remember their old connections to their tribes and their Ordus. Um, mm. And it just there's, um, there's almost like more of a sense of um, retaining their history um, and, you know, their, their, their practices. Um, right just the fact that kind of you know they they lead you know they lead, they draw upon their history uh mm-hmm. more than kind of you know forgetting it due to time right. uh, um which kind of you know you see with a lot of other chapters pretty much kind of there's this kind of natural um evolution of kind of how they were during the heresies to how they are now um, right but the white scars seem probably one of the more unchanged um, mm-hmm. And the fact they kind of you know they respect and they've kept their history more, um, and you know I think that again that's a good thing um, that kind of which so that it's just that constance that, that's there that I just like that yeah you know you, do, you just don't get with a lot of the other chapters yeah it's very admirable because you know you know that they 
they believe in their identity as a people so much that they're willing to maintain it and hold on to it very strongly in the face of what could be like easy modes of reformation when it comes to the influence of the greater imperium like on on these groups or you know the fallout that occurs from say leading losing their leader um yeah. which you know if we talk about the uh, iron hands later mm. uh it's real flip sides of of um dealing with loss and and you can think about it on like a personal level too and mm. the different ways that that people um sort of internalize loss and they either allow themselves to grow from it um, or they get mired in it and they mm -hmm. become deeply uh, damaged by, you know, what yeah. has happened. Yeah. And, and I, um, yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, with um, like the iron hands, you can say, I mean, I mean pretty much you can, you, we can, we can argue quite, quite realistically that they were not even just mired in it. They were, I think kind of the iron hands were defeated by it. Yeah. 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 Mm. For sure. And, and, you know, um, just to briefly touch on this, because I think this makes like a decent segue into, into a different legion here. Um, the Iron Hands are, they lost their Primarch during the heresy. Uh, I think he actually might've been the first Primarch to die. He was, um, yeah. Yeah. He was the, the first one killed by uh, Fulgrim and, yeah. um, in, in so doing the Iron Hands really never recovered from that loss and um they have sort of a cultural obsession with the their bodies being being weak the flesh is weak is sort of their motto mm -hmm. and they have this deep sort of connection with the ethos of the adeptus mechanicus where they're the you know this obsession with replacing the sort of uh frail and fallible human aspects of their body with um machine parts and cybernetics mm. and um and a lot of this was was already there when ferris was there but it's i think it's gotten much deeper and it's become a deep reservoir of trauma and pain for their uh legion is that when ferris died they first of all they they basically refused to accept it and it seems that they won't even really admit that he's been killed mm. um which is you know uh, the, the denial is is a part of trauma and yeah. um and grief and um they seem to just be unwilling to confront what's actually happened to their chapter uh mm. head on and instead they they scapegoat other other problems that being like the frailty of the human body um you know maybe if ferris had been more um augmented he could have survived or he wouldn't have been so hot-headed and rushed into battle with fulgrim when mm. he knew he didn't have a chance or whatever else and and you can see that there's this they've allowed themselves to become you know agents of of hate and resentment and they mm. sort of uh indoctrinate their their neophytes by causing them immense pain by cutting off one of their hands and replacing it with with a machine and yeah. um and in so doing you know part of that is to hold on to that pain caused and to um and to remember you know the that that part of you was weaker and is made stronger by 
by replacing it with this augmetic. And I think, you know, that isn't necessarily true. It's just the way the Iron Hands see things because they're so, as a group, they're so traumatized by that experience and they're so unwilling to just directly confront the fact that they lost their Primarch and they yeah. buried themselves in this sort of like false solution to the problem. Hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's, 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 it's kind of like they're just stuck. I, I don't like them. They're probably my least favorite of the lawyers' legions. Mm -hmm. uh, just because they're so, it's, it's like I say, they kind of got defeated by it. Uh, yeah. By, by the right. I mean, but also, I also don't really like Ferris Manus that much either. He's kind of very much, it's just kind of like, he's like a bit of like an angry bull. But he also, <laughs> he also kind of shows a certain weakness as well. Uh, yeah. It's in character. Um, I mean, even down to the point where um, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the the fact that um, the Legion as a whole after his death kind of they became more um, they become, became more persistent with replacing themselves um, with you know cybernetic parts and yeah. um, essentially kind of you know almost kind of longing to be put into a dreadnought sarcophagus. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even um, during the heresy, I mean, um, and beforehand, I mean. Ferris himself kind of, you know, well, the fact he, you know, killed this Drake and got these iron hands essentially um, from, you know, um, this great beast, which, you know, could have been a Necron thing or, you know, right. you know, it's a whole kind of, you know, you know, it seems like the likely thing, but, you know, right. it's never really said. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, he's even said like um, before that kind of, you know, his hands aren't his own. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that um, while they're strong and he's created loads of great things and everything with them, um, he's he he knows that really deep down that it comes from something that's you know evil or you know not human. Um, but he's too weak to even remove them or try and remove them um, right. because he's kind of he's, he's kind of got this dependence on it. Right. Yep. So it's kind of almost he doesn't feel he's good enough um, by his by himself to actually yeah without them yeah with, without them. So um, and as such, while kind of his legion kind of around him have kind of replaced their hands, kind of you know again, kind of you know almost as an honor mark, but kind right. of you know, like piercings or tattoos, they kind of you know can't get enough of it. It's just like needs more iron. Um, yeah, it's, it, it kind of just shows this weakness of spirit. Um, yeah. It's kind of inherent throughout the Legion. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, it kind of culminates when, you know, obviously Ferris loses his head uh, right. and, you know, just literally kind of, you know, the whole chapter falls apart, mm -hmm. even down to the point where um, I can't remember which Horace Heresy book it is, but, um, ah, yes, it is. It's one we remember talking about. It involves Vulcan, so I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> okay. um, but basically there's this group of Iron Hands uh, and they come across the Shattered Legions and there's... Um, there's this incident that happens and it's kind of, you know, it's it's like a simulacrum of Ferris um, and it's all literally down to the fact that kind of, you know, they're just trying to cling ever so much to, you know, because they can't get over the loss of their Primark. Right. Um, and, it's, and ever since then, really, um, they've just become more angry. They've got this cold fury, but it just shows in kind of disdain for anything that isn't machine.
right. um, and it's kind of like a one track record. And I just mm-hmm. find it, I just, like for, for Law and Fluff, I just find it very boring. It just yeah. shows that they kind of haven't really progressed or got over themselves um, or their death, their Primark. Um, and even now, they still believe uh, some of them that kind of, you know, that, you know, Ferris is not dead and it's all propaganda and kind of, you know, just because they don't want to, you know, believe that it's just, you know, obviously what's happened and the fact that, you know, he got bested. Um, right. So, yeah, I just, I just find them, yeah, dull for that reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like um, I agree with everything you're saying, but I almost like them as like I like their place in the narrative for the same reasons that you don't like them because I feel like they stand as this very interesting sort of like consequence of um, you know emotions that have gone without um, catharsis or without healing and they're they're sort of like demonstratively like you know it's like someone it's like if you if anyone knows anyone if you if you know someone who has gone through deep deep traumatic experience and Mm -hmm. they they really haven't dealt with it they haven't come to terms with it Mm -hmm. um that person can end up you know having certain unpleasant aspects about their character and Mm -hmm. and they can get stuck in that moment and I feel like there's almost no better metaphor for that than the fact that the Iron Hands desire to be put in dreadnoughts, which are, you know, essentially these like walking, uh, uh, you know, machines that just sort of are stuck at the moment of when they died. And they remember they're basically, you know, their their brains are sort of like uh, mired in the life that they had and mm-hmm. they don't have a life anymore. They're 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 basically a walking history book, but they don't have like a a modern existence. And, um, their only existence at that point is just to, to do work for the, you know, the, the chapter of the Legion, but they're, they're, they're stuck as, as people, their personhood is stuck in Mm -hmm. the, the moment before they were interred in that coffin. And, um, I think the iron hands, their, their desire to be like that is clearly, you know, they're unwilling to, confront the present they're unwilling to uh acknowledge the fact that time has moved on and they need to move on too and they've let all that resentment and hatred define them and Mm. it's super unhealthy i mean you know like as far as like just the way humans deal with with trauma and grief it's an extremely unhealthy way to be and Mm. um you know they're essentially living um a, a sort of fake version of the world they're living in extreme denial and um i think that that to me makes them interesting even if it makes them weaker and i think it they serve as like an allegory for how the chat the legions and chapters should not function Mm -hmm. um i think that they a cautionary tale (laughs) yeah they're like a cautionary tale exactly i think that that actually makes them really interesting um in that regard because they have stagnated and they are stuck in that moment of their loss. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's super interesting, I think, because we're reading the same stuff and our takeaway is sort of, you know, Mm. on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think that's totally valid to have like difference of opinions about these things, even if we agree on what it all means. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah. So that's yeah, true. It's um yeah, it's like two sides of the same coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um awesome coin mine, but 
<laughs> yeah, the, the most awesome coin you've ever seen. Exactly. Both sides are are just so awesome. You've never seen anything like it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that's the Iron Hands, which you know I think that's hmm. that's about as much as I wanted to say about them. And obviously, you know, we we our opinions differ on them, but yeah, I really like they, they, they do. They start off in the law very good, like in the Horus Heresy, but it's just right. obviously because. Um, Obviously, where even the Horus Heresy picks up, it's just, you know, he's very swiftly, you know, killed off. Right. And as such, it's just, uh, yeah, just the, like the continuing storyline for me. Like, cause, like we discussed, it's just, yeah, I just find it, you know, yeah, dull. Um, right. But yeah, ultimately interesting, but just for me, it tells off quick. But for you, the other way around, because... Yeah, the and story. and also what I what I should say about them too is that like, I can see where the dullness comes from in that, like, I don't necessarily want to read a whole book about the Iron Hands, like post loss of Ferris. Mm -hmm. um, it's more like I like them being an ancillary note in a, in a story about someone else. Um, yeah. I think that's where they serve the best purpose. Um, I often um, reference, I don't know how much you pay attention to like the Marvel comics or anything, um, but oh. Yeah, I, I basically often talk about how the Punisher is one of my favorite characters, but I never really enjoy reading comics that are about the Punisher. I mm -hmm. like comics about other characters where the Punisher shows up because the Punisher is such an extreme difference of personality from the other characters in the Marvel comics that he makes them learn about themselves yeah. uh, through his own difference and his his extremism and his violence. And he basically shows them like what they could be if they let themselves slip. And he's, he mm -hmm. is a cautionary tale. The Punisher, I think is a, he succumbed to his grief and his pain and yeah. he became basically a non-character because he's just an avatar of death and destruction. That's and, a good, um, that's a good um, allegory. So because it is, it's yeah, very, very similar. And yeah, yeah I, I haven't even looked at it that way, but it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I think of the Iron Hands too, and and their place in the story, and that's why I find them valuable, mm -hmm. even though I don't necessarily want to read a whole book just about the Iron Hands. Fair um, yeah. So, so uh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Oh, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say. So, um, I mean, that's I mean, that's my least favorite chapter. So. Yeah. I mean, what would you say your least is? Oh man, my least favorite chapter. That's tricky. I I feel like I'm so, I'm so. Uh, my tendency is just to try to find something good and everything. Um, so I can. Um, hmm. My least favorite chapter that is loyalist. Yeah. Uh, is it okay? I'm gonna say, and this is probably going to ruffle a few feathers um but i'm going to say i think my least favorite might be the space wolves okay and there's a lot that i like about the space wolves i'd like to preface um this this conversation by saying that i actually love a ton about the space wolves and basically anytime i'm reading um a novel that involves a space wolf um mm -hmm. i really like the character um, I really like the way they talk. I love their sort of, um, you know, regressed sort of um, 
ancient feeling about them. They, they speak in a manner where maybe words have less significance than actions. And, um, mm-hmm. they, they hold on strongly to, you know, a, a belief system of honor. Um, even if it maybe looks unfamiliar to the other legions and chapters. Um, but the reason that I actually don't like the space wolf so much is that I have trouble believing their continued existence in the Imperium in the 41st millennium in a, in a governmental body that basically abhors mutation and, um, and heresy and, and looks for it everywhere. I feel like when the chapters aren't above, um, you know, gene seed ties to kind of the purity, um, you've got to wonder how long that's kind of managed to, uh, go on. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those it's, um, I, I do understand it. It doesn't quite make sense. Um, but it's just one of those that because they're so honorable, um, they kind of, you know, put themselves above their peers and they do look even compared to the other chapters that kind of, um, there's this kind of, you know, friendly disdain thinking, not disdain, but kind of, you know, superior superiority, just going, ah, you wouldn't know anything. You know, you're not one of us kind of thing. They, they kind of set themselves apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they kind of all do to certain degrees, I think just by their history um, and the amount of, um, you know, great deeds they managed to do for yeah. the, yeah. the Imperium, they kind of, you know, they put themselves in this unimpeachable position, despite the fact they're just so inherently corrupted, you know, on the gene seed. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, just, you know, with a wolf and curse. Uh, right, right, and right. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I, I get your point. Uh, I think it's one of those things, again, because um, the chapters kind of, you know, are quite secretive. Mm -hmm. They kind of, you can argue that point. Yeah. There's another point where, um, because they're one of the few chapters that, despite the fact that, you know, they kind of, all all the lawyers' chapters kind of agreed to the Codex Societies. Um, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot that really just didn't. Um, But, (laughs) uh, you know, as such, the space walls are kind of still essentially at legion strength, um, right. yeah. or at least they were before uh, Magnus went and kicked down their door, um, right. <laughs> and kind of, <laughs> and has and has really kind of upset the apple cart on uh, Fenris. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, kind of going back to it, it's um, yeah, it's I, th- I think kind of the honor. On a part of it is one thing. Um, I think there's also the other greater factor, which kind of is not really talked about because it's, you know, it's a footnote, but essentially it's quite boring. Um, <laughs> it, uh, in the actual 40K universe itself, you're talking about whole planets and generations within on those planets and even systems where they've not even encountered um, an Adeptus Asartes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, either side um you know they're these almost mythical characters for sure yeah um that kind of you know appraise you reverently um you know they're they're kind of the saviors of humanity but they're also at once very you know they're they're almost just a a, a mythical uh substance and kind of you know story Uh, and as such it's um you kind of got to wonder, you know, how much has it really been brought to their attention bar the occasional point where it's just like, we're not quite sure about these guys in grey and their wolfy friends. Um, so, 
I kind of get it. I think it's one of those, if um, the Imperium um, was at ever at a point in peace um, <laughs> and kind of, you know, more scrutiny can be put onto the chapters and um, the legions, as it were, right. then I think there'd be quite a few that would be just like, we're not quite sure about you. You, yeah. you smell a bit like a mutant to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I agree. And I think, you know, for that same reason, uh, basically is why the dark angels were allowed to persist after the betrayal of Luther, because, um, you know, times were so turbulent in the years following the heresy that no one really had the, uh, the wherewithal to look into the conduct of the dark angels. So, mm. you know, at the, the loyalists got away with, their half of their legion turning traitor because basically everyone was just too busy to figure out that that they had had this event happen and yeah. their home world destroyed and everything and um they managed to cover it very very well <laughs> yeah 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 they managed to you know and they basically their their entire legion culture shifted uh as a means of compensating for that and again, the, the Dark Angels have done such an outstanding, they have such an outstanding track record mm. um, in, in service of the Imperium that it's like no one has thought it's worth digging into because of the resources that would be required. And, and you know, the, the Imperium is such a massive bureaucratic organization that these things take such a long time anyway. Um, mm. And they can just get buried in, you know, the quote unquote paperwork. It's probably digitalized or something but um you know and then also people's memories can be rewritten if you look at someone like belisarius call whose um intelligence has probably been modified so deeply by his the fact that his brain is essentially a series of hard drives at this point mm -hmm. um and you know there are other members of the administratum who are probably deeply um modified in that way and it's it's probably caused so many you know gaps in their in the memory of the imperium overall and and there have been so many moments of incredible upheaval um like the age of apostasy and everything yeah. um that you know things like the dark angels and the space wolves can get away with it and hmm. um basically i think like the space wolf the reason that the space wolves are so egregious to me is just that like the the anyone who has seen them seems like they would so obviously know that there's an issue, but yeah. I agree that there are so many worlds that just haven't even actually seen a space Marine in person. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so many administrative officials probably haven't seen the space holes firsthand for any reason. Um, so yeah. I get it, you know, as much as yeah. I feel that way, I do get it. Yeah, because I mean, they do. I mean, even when the Imperium comes knocking on their home planet, essentially, they kind of, you know, just go, no, leave us alone or we'll shoot you. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> um, again, like, you know, like all Space Marine chapters, they keep themselves themselves. And it's like, you know, obviously they got that dirty secret, but right. it's kind of, you know, yeah. Um, and they've got a very feral aspect anyway. So mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of kind of, um, you know, humans on the ground, as it were, if they would see a space wolf, um, you know, with, you know, all the furs and all the feralness. Yeah. 
that you could be kind of forgiven for a bit of like allegory or kind of, you know, just thinking kind of like, ah, oh, well, you know, you're clearly kind of just, you know, exaggerating a little bit with regards to kind of how they are. Right. Um, or, yeah, like how else would would these champions of the emperor look with their bellicose nature and their, you know, mm-hmm. the feats they're capable of in combat? Why wouldn't they look like this? So. Yeah. Um, um, but at the same time, it's um, it's kind of one of those things because obviously there has been this paradigm shift with um, the way the space wars are. I mean, in the Horus Heresy, they're very much um, they've got this Nordic Viking aspect to them, mm-hmm. um, and it's that. I mean, you know, there's there's it's just it's like more of a romantic period, but it's you know there's there's more of um, there's kind of more to them, um, and it seems that in 40k. Um, and kind of, you know, the, the, the later fluff that kind of really deals with the space wars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very just, uh, it's kind of good. And like you say, with the characters, there's some epic stories, but yeah. the actual space wars themselves, um, not just in the lore, but also in the game, you know, everything's Wolfie McWolferson. And, right, right. Um, you know, it's like, and it's, it's, you know, it's Wolf Priest, it's Wolf Guard, it's, you know, it's just like, yep. you know, it's, um, there's a little too much Wolf. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, that's part of it is I feel like they just spam the word Wolf way too much and all their stuff. And it makes me think, man, do these guys even like think for themselves or when they go to sleep, do they literally just see a wolf staring at them for eight hours yeah. and then wake up and, yeah, just like the next, the, the next kind of you know, um, one of the one of the lords of the you know the, the thirteen houses, you know, like you mm-hmm. know, it has to be replaced. It's just like, what is your name, brother captain? It's just like, <laughs> my name's Dave. It's, yeah, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, let's call you but, Dave Wolf. Dave Wolf. Yeah, Dave Wolf. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I feel like that sort of tired trope of like how wolfy they actually are it it just it just bore down on me as being like a little bit lazy from a design standpoint um it it gets thrown down your neck quite quite severely yeah Uh, but on saying that i mean again there's some great stories and right um i mean from just the um the the most recent stuff kind of you know with the with the war on Fenris mm-hmm. and you know the you know the beginning of eighth edition um mm-hmm. the end of seventh really where um you know Fenris basically got its ass kicked. I mean yes I mean Magnus and everyone got drove away um or they kind of left essentially just by um, poisoning Fenris itself. I mean Fenris is still in recovery uh with yeah. some laser books and kind of you know it's not right um and there's still lots going on in that on that planet. And the space wolves have taken an incredible shock um, yeah. to the point where even um, you know, um, uh, brain and names, mm-hmm. the master of the space wolves. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Lorgar. Lorgar, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, complete brain fart. That's right. Um, yeah, even he's going. Um, you know, he's he's really starting to question himself. Oh, uh, sorry, it's uh, it's Logan Grimnar. Yeah, Logan Grimnar. Lorgar is the world. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, where'd I come from? Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Logan Grimner. Yeah. Uh, Logan Wolverine. Um, yeah, yeah, basically. Um, yeah, so um, with him, it's kind of, you know, he even now in the recent flood, he's kind of, you know, he's really starting to doubt himself. He's kind of almost, is untrustworthy of the new, um, 
you know, the Primaris Marines, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, they're, they're desperate for, um, you know, um, reinforcements. But on the right. same time, you know, with everything that's been going on, he's thinking, you know, surely these are the end times that, you know, uh, you know, that we've been talked about in all their sagas with regards to, you know, um, uh, you know, their, their Primarch returning. And he's kind yeah. of, he's actually asking, it's just like, you know, could this be, you know, you know, start start looking out for our Primarch because surely right. this is the end time. Um, because it's just me, you know, he's just got so much of a batter in it. So um it's interesting to see that there's a little bit of weakness slipping in, but and how that's gonna pan out um with future books as well. Um whether um, you know, in, indeed, um, you know, essentially the Primarch will come back or whether they'll, you know, end up slipping further before getting a new chapter master because you know low um logar uh just can't cut logan even <laughs> just can't cut it right. uh, so it's kind of yeah it's an interesting one um yeah but yeah uh, again i think it's like one of those with them um the fluff starts off far, far more um, greater and kind of more rich in the Horus Heresy and just gets slowly distilled or kind of, you know, um, not even distilled, I'd say diluted. Diluted, yeah. <laughs> I guess the 40k. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It'd be, it'll be awesome to see how it pans out. And indeed, if Lehman Russ does return, then kind of like that would be, be quite an epic event. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, so basically in in reference to what we just talked about with um with well it's sort of tying together a lot of what we've already talked about i did want to say one of my favorite uh chapters is actually a uh a second founding um and it's for it's for a few different reasons i, I would say mostly aesthetically um the way you were saying about the blood angels but um I really like the uh, flesh terrors. Um, okay. So the reason that I like the flesh terrors so much is that I feel like they're, they have this, they clearly have this deep flaw um, mm-hmm. the way that the space wolves do and sort of an exaggerated version of the flaw that the blood angels themselves are. Mm-hmm. Um, they have this massive number of um, their recruits turning to succumbing to the black rage. Yeah, um, and Look, they have twice the the blood angels and their successors, but yeah, yeah, um, and and the you know they have exorbitant numbers of uh, death company because of this sort of flaw within them um, that they they seem to have more of than than other blood angels successor chapters, mm-hmm. um, and it's made them become this incredibly sort of feared. Uh, chapter even amongst their you know saviors they would end up going to a planet where they are this planet's salvation and then they're in such a blood rage that they turn on the the people you know that they came here to save um and they become you know truly horrifying vampires the way that they you know blood angels at their worst can be but have often done their best to avoid being and um i think that the reason that I like the flesh terrors in, in that regard is because I feel like, um, especially with the advent of Gabriel Seth becoming their chapter master, mm. um, he's done a lot of legwork to sort of repair the reputation of the chapter. Yeah. And 
his means of doing that has basically been to make the flesh terrors become like almost a kamikaze chapter and he'll willingly send them into the bloodiest engagements because he knows there's no risk of them turning on allies if they're the only ones there um and they, they, they are they are um they're still kind of like a small hope for them but i mean he does do that with regards to you know ensure but it's almost um it's almost a nihilistic kind of thing with success yeah. in that he knows that ultimately the chapter's doomed almost um, right and kind of you know there's there's definitely this this element of despair in it um with the fact that kind of they will just uh, you know all eventually succumb and as such um you know just uh yeah it's better if they kind of like go out at least claiming as many heretics and um you know xenos and you know um, and demons as possible in the in the process yeah exactly and you know when you see them on um like if you look at the the devastation of, of bow and mm, the flesh tears you know, they, they showed, I actually haven't read the book. I'm, I'm extremely excited to get to that. Gotcha. Oh, okay. it's <laughs> um, but I've, you know, I've read the codexes of eighth edition. I know sort of the general state of what has happened and where they're at now. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that um, the flesh terrors basically showed up when the call was made from Bal to, you know, for all the successors to sort of come and help them uh, survive the, the Tyranid High Fleet that was um, sort of eating their planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they got there, the Flesh Terrors carved this like horrific bloody path through the Tyranids. And Gabriel Seth was there by Dante's side at the end when like Corn ended up coming, um, mm-hmm. or not Corn himself, but you know, sent demons to the planet. Um, yeah. And and get and the result, you know, at the end of that their salvation came in the form of the Indominus Crusade dropping off, you know, mm-hmm. a boatload of Primaris Marines to augment their numbers, which had been like severely reduced. Um, and in that moment, um, Gabriel Seth basically said, the Primaris Marines are an abomination. They're not actually blood angels and like no Primaris will join the ranks of the flesh terrorists. Mm-hmm. He had this moment of like completely rejecting this, this, uh, you know, new form of space Marine. And he doesn't really seem to think that they are space Marines. And he's, he's a very traditional, you know, he has a very traditional mindset of them in that regard. And I think, um, that makes him so compelling to me, not because like I agree with him necessarily, but I think his character is so appealing and so strong. And the way that he has this sort of economical view of how to fix his chapter's reputation and it's by like turning his chapter into a giant suicide squad essentially um and i really like and and you have to wonder like what his motivations are also for not accepting primaris if if that's the way that he sees the chapter going down so um you know it's almost like like you said it's extremely sort of morose melancholic thing of like you know we will save ourselves by condemning ourselves to basically death yeah um, which is kind of a, it's good and they've kind of got i mean there's two two kind of aspects of that as well because i mean like i said they were the, you know the, all the blood angels and their successes they're cursed twice because right. we i mean you've got the black rage but you've also got the red thirst as well yeah. 
And it's nice to see kind of almost where those counterpoints are kind of very similar, but they, where they kind of bleed off into two different um, aspects um, because you've also, well, you've got the flesh terrors that, you know, succumb like, and they're pretty much to, to the extent of being doomed. Yeah. Um, with the Black Rage, you've got in the Red Thirst, you've got the Angels Million. Mm-hmm. Um, and with them, it's literally all down to the Red Thirst. Uh, right. They found that by almost allowing it, then kind of they can stave it off. So mm-hmm. they're almost literally the, you know, they have literally embraced being vampires. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and by doing so, they can kind of essentially control it to a degree and it offsets the black rage for them. Right. Uh, but I mean, but only to the extent where they all eventually succumb, but they can just prolong it for as long as physically possible before that happens. Right. Um, but it's interesting to see that even within the Blood Angels and all their successors, the, the Angels Million, um, they're just treated like, you know, the ugly ginger kid. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of like they're just like uh, we don't want any part of these guys <laughs> <laughs> um, and even on the devastation of Baal it's um, you know they, they arrive to kind of like help their you know parent chapter and they're just like yeah you go play over there <laughs> right <laughs> everyone else <laughs> yeah yeah and and I like that you know that's sort of a flip side because they they in a sense they've damned themselves so deeply by allowing themselves to you know, feed that red thirst and to stave off the black rage. And, um, if you, um, this is probably sort of the point you're making is that the flesh terrors sort of went the opposite route. They, they refuse to feed the red thirst, which makes the black rage come on faster, which was already like an, uh, an excessive genetic flaw with that successor chapter specifically mm. is they, they're so, you know, susceptible to the black rage anyway. And instead of running from it, they embrace it to the point where they're the entire chapter is essentially forlorn hope. And Mm. they just throw themselves into combat with the hope that they'll do as much damage as possible. Um, you know, how many, Mm. how many, uh, demons do you have to kill before you've, you know, unsullied the, the name of the flesh terrors is kind of, seemingly the logic that Gabriel Seth is working by. And, uh, um, and I really like that. I like, I like that sort of extreme, like penitent, uh, uh, you know, his, his acceptance of, of who he is and who his chapter is. And Mm -hmm. I think that may be part of why he doesn't want the primaris involved is because it's really like a, it's an, an insider's club that he has going on. And, it's he's probably not likely to induct anything different because mm-hmm. he's found something that finally works for them. Cause really the flesh yeah. terrors were, you know, on the verge of being, uh, labeled traitors. And yes, yeah. I mean, they, they were almost completely doomed, um, you know, chief ascension, definitely. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, while the red thirst and the black rage is kind of, um, you know, prevalent in all the blood angels chapters and their successors, mm-hmm. um, because of the, because of the way Seth dealt with it and the honor that was involved, um, by kind of, you know, essentially, uh, forgoing it or kind of, you know, using it to as much as possible. It's kind of something that the rest of the blood angels could kind of understand. Mm-hmm. Well, 
um, yeah, the Angels of Million with a generic kind of, well, not generic, but kind of like, you know, blatant vampirism and kind right. of, uh, bloodletting and blood drinking. It's, uh, despite the fact they're all kind of, you know, it's all their daily little secret and they all do a little bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. the fact that they just, they don't just treat it as a kind of, you know, an, an occasional necessity, but they just, you know, um, they, they adopt it. They make it their own. But right. as such, um, they condemn themselves to just, you know, being that on the wrong side of good, really. Uh, yeah. Where kind of, you know, I mean, again, if the, if they were, it was their practices were known to the greater Imperium, they would definitely be shut down. Right. Uh, um, just because um, they're, they're literally, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're around when we're in battle, we'll, you know, we're gonna we're gonna suck your blood out <laughs> right and, um, and and you can see how the other the blood angels and their successors you know that's a great point of shame for them i think is that they have to do that they have to indulge in that to some degree and the fact that the angels vermilion don't feel they seemingly don't they don't feel the shame or they at least behave as if they are not affected by the shame of that. I think that's what's so abhorrent to the other mm-hmm. Blood Angels chapters is that, like, you know, they're 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 too comfortable in in that guise, and yeah. um, it's yeah. just it's abhorrent to them. Yeah, like Seth, like you know, they've it's, it, they've adopted and kind of you know embrace you know a certain flaw of their character, but it's just right. led, led the millions uh, down a darker path. Yeah, uh, exactly. Mm. but um so i mean that's the second founding i mean um you've yes. got a first founding i do yeah um so my my favorite first founding i i think um and this maybe will change but it's been pretty consistent for a while okay. um and it's the salamanders yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. i i love the salamanders i love um their whole ethos of like they truly seem like mm-hmm. heroes in in a world where heroes are measured in increments of how little bad are they doing um yeah. the the salamanders truly feel heroic and noble and stoic and also they i think they've maintained They've never let go of what they are aware they're fighting for, which is the the citizenry of the Imperium and the the well being of of mankind. Um, and so which, there are there's only chaps where it's well documented that they will literally lay their lives down for you know literally just generic civilians, right? Um, and you know they don't have to be even kind of you know important to the greater imperial machine. Yeah, um, exactly. Just that they, you know, they need protecting and you know against all, um, which is essentially what they were made for. Uh, right. um, but you know, well, well, a lot of chapters definitely uh, don't feel that their um, their blood is worth shedding for you know many. Um, there's definitely the salamanders uh, aren't like that. They mm-hmm. uh, they they have um. Yeah, there's, there's definitely much more honor and um, self selflessness um, mm-hmm. with them, um, and not to mention just Vulcan's a boss. <laughs> oh my god, Vulcan is so awesome! Like, I just can't 
really emphasize enough how cool I think he is. Like, yeah. he's just he's just such a badass. Like, it's it's ridiculous, and and he still is such a hero. Like, you know, some some Primarchs I think ride the line between monster and hero, and and I think for the for the most part, I think that you know, Vulcan is truly heroic. He's truly good and noble and. Yeah. There are there are a few aspects of him that, you know, you would argue, I think maybe other than the fact that he really likes burning people alive, you would have a problem with that. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's a bit of pyromania, but I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's nothing that he wouldn't do himself. I mean, you know, right. I mean, you know, he, he basically, uh, you know, sits on his imperial warship kind of, you know, surrounded by hot coals and kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, um, what is everyone else's furnace? He calls just a nice steam room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's, well, it's probably, especially with the, um, uh, let's say the loyalist chapters mm-hmm. in what kind of like in physical appearance uh, I think the only person who could probably be considered slightly more monstrous to look at um, would be Magnus mm-hmm. uh, um, you know I mean they're definitely um, you know he's monstrous in appearance uh, with his you know literally coal black skin um, and you know, red eyes yeah. Uh, yeah literally burning red eyes there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a very there's a very demonic kind of aspect to that. Um, but that literally is where it ends. Um, right. with, yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's just this noble um, self-sacrifice um, that's kind of, you know, just there and the way he behaves. And even down to um, just little things, kind of just, I mean, I think kind of even when he was, um, if I remember rightly, even when kind of he met his chapter for the first time, mm-hmm. um, it was actually he that bowed down to his chapter his right. Yeah. Um, and said kind of, you know, it's just, uh, and kind of, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's kind of along the lines of, you know, it's just like, if you fight for me, um, you know, I mean, you know, I will fight for you. Um, right. Because he saw himself as a savior because um, obviously there's this selflessness almost had kind of, you know, a suicidal tendency within the chapter before he took it over. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the Legion before he took it over. Right. There was this kind of, you know, this, um, this almost uh yeah it's almost like the suicidal tendency um right. and kind of you know by you know basically extolling kind of you know the the i can't remember what his path is it's, it's like the path of fire or something yeah um, something like that yeah yeah um i can't remember exactly what it's called it's gonna bug me now um <laughs> and i apologize because there's probably a load of people screaming it <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, by leading him down this kind of regime and kind of, you know, this uh well self-sacrifice itself is kind of, you know, it's a very worthy goal to have. It needs to be tempered. Uh, you know, and by doing so, kind of, you know, they just formed a just amazing legion. Yeah, um yeah. and I love the fact that while say Ferris Manus was kind of, you know, um the you know uh master kind of weapon maker, as it were, um really I mean, a very different counterpoint between him and Vulcan, who was more of an artisan, uh, while kind of being able to, you know, create these amazing and, you know, crazily scary, deadly machines as well. Uh, There's this artistry behind it. Um, You know, he doesn't just make things to kill or, you know, um, he, 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 he makes something of beauty with it. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, um, and it's it's quite. I find it quite interesting with the salamanders as well. Just um, again, that's another um, primark that I'd love to see come back, Vulcan. Oh man, me yeah. too. Yeah, because um, while there's you know he disappeared, we obviously now know that he's a perpetual. Um, right. For anyone really not keeping on track with Horace Heresy spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that he could easily, you know, just be wandering the galaxy or, you know, even outside the galaxy and, you know, could come back um, by being a perpetual. Uh, right. Um, it would involve this, um, you know, issued retcon or this crazy, unbelievable story that would involve, you know, say some breakaway faction race of Eldar, um, okay. you know, and, um, you know, this MacGuffin machine of armor that, you know, that, that no one really knew about for 10,000 years, all of a sudden comes into being at the same time, uh, <laughs> you know, not putting any names, Gilliman. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, uh, it would be quite a believable thing, I think, for him to come back. Uh, yeah. And ultimately, I think kind of when, things are at their darkest Vulcan would definitely be that beacon um, that would draw kind of humanity together again. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, probably more so than a lot of the other, um, a lot of the other um, Primarchs that you could mention. I would say even more so than, than Gilliman because yeah. to, you know, I think that there's maybe some parallels that can be drawn between Vulcan and Gilliman in, in their nobility and their sense of, you know, we're doing this for for people this is there's mm. a sense of sacrifice and purpose there that i think isn't present necessarily in in all the legions and chapters but mm. i think there's a there's a warmth of spirit to vulcan that is so inspiring and charismatic and yeah. i feel like it's exactly the kind of thing that could rejuvenate you know the, the humanity's uh, mm. sense of defiance in the face of this overwhelming horror that is you know the current events of the 41st millennium yeah um, in, while um gilliman is definitely the statesman and he has um you know his his uh his his knowledge and you know and the battle arts and strategy is kind of without peer um yeah. he's very much he is very much the statesman and you know right. why a lot of people don't like the ultramines i mean i don't actually count the ultramines as a a bad chapter. I mean, I love the flood behind them. I do uh, too. Yeah, and especially in the heresy, they've actually got a lot more um, character than kind of you know you really give them credit for. I think the only real horrible part of the Ultramines is that whole Casso Sicarius nonsense, which kind of you know <laughs> by that person we won't name because right. he was, you know he was he was not a good thing for forty k. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, no. So. Um, but yeah, no, I think kind of Vulcan could be that literal, that, that, that rally point, um, that kind of, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the figurehead really for the Imperium, the people would, would rally behind and kind of like literally love and believe more than someone who's maybe a bit more of a bureaucrat. Exactly. Are you finding good? Um, yeah, totally agree with that. So, and, and, you know, I think we saw that even in, uh, the Beast Arises, for those of you who've read it, um, Vulcan's participation in that story, I think it, it, I think he was a really important, um, like it was really important that they chose him of all the Primarchs to be uh, a participant in that story because mm -hmm. Vulcan, I think his strength 
lies in making those around him find their own strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, he builds people up in ways that I think a lot of Primarchs don't, and he and he's really good at doing it across legions and chapters. Yeah. I think, you know, so often I feel like the Primarchs they really it feels like a boys' club with like the Primarch and his children, yeah. and and you know outside of that, yes, the Primarchs are all sort of inspiring or maybe even just terrifying, mm-hmm. um, but Vulcan had a sense of. He made the, largely it was the Imperial Fists he was with and their successor chapters in that story. And um, he inspired them to find the strength within themselves to believe that they had the ability to defeat this great threat. And, you know, it wasn't that they were reliant upon, basically the way that the story leaves us, I think, is with Vulcan regard he makes them know that regardless of his presence uh everyone has it within themselves to be the hero they need and um and that's so rare in the 41st millennium for a character to have that kind of morale boost like within them yeah Um, i totally agree promethean code that was it oh yes yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. um he was a fire thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, yeah, at least it's not fire or flamey, but flame, flame. Like, <laughs> it's not the space wolves of yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah not the space wolves naming convention. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So um, yeah, Promethean code. But yeah, completely agree. Uh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd I'd say that would be a nice yeah nice little thing. Um, I'm trying to think of other successor chapters. Um, I think for me. The only one I really kind of like that strikes a chord with me as well is maybe Size of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of more just from a hobby point. Yeah. I'm casting my mind back to the day where um, I was I was, I was was young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that far back. Uh, <laughs> and one of, one, of, one of my favorite games, kind of, you know, although it was quite crazy to get your head around as a teenager was um advanced space crusade okay yeah and um, within there kind of um one of the one of the chapters of scouts that you know would inevitably die every single game um, <laughs> um like all the other scouts regardless of who you played um yeah. was um the size of the emperor mm-hmm. uh, their fluff has been fleshed out quite a lot now um and they're just a great great chapter mm-hmm. i mean essentially they were pretty much wiped out um by by the high fleets uh kraken yeah. uh, and but just um again i don't want to spoil it for you but mm-hmm. uh, it they all feature around this chapter planet on which was um outside of um you know just on the outskirts of ultramar yeah because uh, they're they're an ultramarine successor right. uh, for how much you know about it but um and it's all on this planet called Sotha. <laughs> And there's this great little bit in the Horus Heresy that's made around Sotha. Uh, mm-hmm. It shows kind of, and again, right, it's just this little nugget right at the end of the book. And you go, oh, that, that, that happened. <laughs> um, I won't spoil it because I know a lot of people haven't read it yet. But yeah. uh, it's also great because there's this awesome character in it, um, Alexis Pollux, um, which is an Imperial Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, cause this is around the Imperium Secundus kind of like time, uh, like book area. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've also got, um, 
uh, uh, essentially a loyal iron warrior who's an absolute boss as well. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, yeah, so good read. Um, yeah. I would check it out if I were you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I eventually I want the Black Library to all be in my brain, basically. So Yeah, it's, um, it's a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was... I would say that was... The Salamanders are definitely my favorite founding legion. Um, first founding. Um, and the Flesh Terrors are probably my favorite second founding i i have to say from like a tabletop perspective the the death watch are easily my favorite space marine force um that's because it's cool though isn't it <laughs> yeah i mean well I, first of all they look incredible i love their aesthetic of the the silver arm and the the text and stuff on their on their arm plate and everything on their pauldron i think that's super cool oh and, they're amazing yeah and and then on top of that the diversity within like a single unit that you can give because they're all vets they can all take really unique loadouts and you can basically make that army as customizable as you want which i think is just incredibly cool mm. um with like the mixed units and everything i don't even do mixed unit types within a single unit um the way that i play them i still just put all vets in a single unit but i i <laughs> yeah knowing you can i mean i think it's just so cool and i basically i just kit them out i always take frag cannons in all my squads um because that's probably the most powerful like handheld weapon in all 40k right now uh it's just so good um but on top of that you know i i kit them out basically differently based on what kind of squad function i want them to have as a mm. close combat unit, I give them shotguns and heavy thunder hammers. As a ranged unit, I give them, uh, you know, just lots of bolters because their special issue ammo is so good. Mm. Um, but the as far as like from a uh, a narrative perspective, I really like that the Death Watch are a collection of every of everything. So, mm. you know, from a modeling and hobby perspective, your Death Watch army can just take every single thing that you like about the space marines and you can put it all under one roof and then make it all look awesome because they're all painted like the death watch yeah um it's just i feel like it's like the best of all the worlds combined basically yeah um, that's true and um it it's one thing i love about them is um the actual moles as well are just amazing i know <laughs> I mean, it's it, it plays very well to the law and it plays very well to the fluff. Um, just because you have all these disparate chapters, um, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, rigorously trained, they're the best of the best. Um, you know, regards to Xenos killing and kind of they're put through their paces and to such a degree. Yeah. Uh, you know, just in their training and everything, but despite all these, again, you know, you've got disparate chapters and they're not they're, they're not uh, given any choice on which squad they join. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're thrown together by Inquisitors on these kind of, you know, almost what would be considered suicidal missions. Yeah. But because they're given, you know, all the tools and, you know, there's little strike forces, when you read about them in the books, there's... Um, there's so much great interplay because yes. you know, obviously even in the law, the chapters don't get along. Um, right. You got, you know, things like, um, you know, in the Death Watch, you've got 
uh, Dark Angel, you've got Space Wolf. Right. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, you know, um, I can't remember exactly which book it is. I can't think, I'm trying to remember if it is actually Death Watch or Z, I think it's one called Xenos Hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of those two. Um, it is, there's a Dark Angel Space Wolf. And it's like, well, they could quite happily like tear each other to pieces. Right. Um, they, they kind of like, there's this, snipey begrudging kind of like you know kind of thing between them but you know, yeah. they, they put aside all the differences because they're forced to band together and work with each other and place each other's strengths yeah uh, and i just think it makes a great reading um, it's it's so cool yeah, yeah. Mm. um i i actually i wrote a little bit of uh you know on instagram i post little blurbs of of you know like my characters and my armies saying yeah. something or whatever and um, one of the ones that I did recently was the uh, one of my watch captains in the Death Watch is a salamander. And, um, you know, I basically wrote this thing of him sort of observing the fact that what makes the Death Watch so strong is the fact that despite, you know, these groups, these disparate groups of, of chapter participants that would probably hate each other. They're, the fact that they're brought together with a common goal is such an incredible strength. And it, you know, I, I basically had this thought of like a salamander's captain would notice that and he would remark upon it, the strength of, of mm-hmm. unity that these disparate chapters working together brings and what it represents as far as like humanity mm-hmm. overcoming its own, you know, getting out of its own way to achieve yeah. greater goals. No, um, there's, there's this underlying kind of thing, isn't it, with the Death Watch, where it's kind of like literally the whole is greater than some of their parts. Right. Um, and it kind of really reflects that, you know, despite all this grim darkness, kind of there's this kind of undertow that kind of, you know, if we all just bandy together, we'll just be, you know, we, we can overcome anything. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, and yeah. they do. Um, the Death Watch is like the, you know, they're the physical embodiment of that idea, I think, is that if you take all the most contentious aspects of humanity and throw them together, what you actually get is, you know, this incredible fighting unit that can overlook its differences because it's so capable of, you know, seeing the greater threat and, and it can see right in front of it, how much better it is for working together. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like when you have, you know, two chapters that are on opposite sides of the galaxy that, that hate each other, um, you know, those ideas can fester and grow in isolation like that, and they can dehumanize each other. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, when that person is your brother and they're fighting right next to you mm-hmm. and you're, you know, facing down uh, a, a tide of gene stealers or something yeah. like suddenly you, you actually know how petty those squabbles are. And it, and not only, you know, is it, does it build that camaraderie in that moment? But it's such an incredible effort for diplomacy because those veterans end up going back to their chapters for the most part, if they survive and they, and they build, they help build allegiances. They help break down barriers. Yeah. And, um, it's just each other again on the field of battle again, there's that instant kin and kind of, but they're, they're also treated with far more respect because they have this, uh, you know, greater skill because they've been involved with the Death Watch and they've, you know, come back after their turn. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's kind of, it is one of those things. 
humanity be like the death watch <laughs> yeah That's exactly and everything else <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know it, i i feel like the death watcher as grim and horrifically lethal as they are in battle i think they really are they represent something special about the unified you know camaraderie of, of humans when they when we forget our differences and we come together yeah. uh you know what we can achieve is so great and yeah. that's why i had a salamanders captain of all people sort of making that observation because i feel like it's natural for the salamanders to sort of wax philosophical about the betterment of mankind and cooperation and everything so uh, anything involving salamanders is a good life choice so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so those are those are pretty much my my favorites um yeah. and uh and I also really love the Grey Knights. I'm not really going to go into mm-hmm. them because I feel like they're not, they don't quite count um, in the same yeah. way. Uh, kind of like the Death Watch. But yeah. Um, no, that's yeah. Kind of enough. But I mean, um, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, well, they were, were born out of, um, you know, a bit of silliness. So it's like, I, I do got a soft spot for them. But, yeah. um, but their fluff is very hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the less we talk about the incident with Drago and Mortarion, the better, because that's just, oh. <laughs> one and of there's the, also one of the, the worst bits of story ever pens. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also, I think, the massive writing issue um, or just narr- like lore issue of the fact that the Death or the Grey Knights essentially are supposed to kill whatever Imperial allies they fight alongside. Uh, yeah. to sort of you know erase their presence in the annals of the imperium yeah uh, which so, so, yeah. is the one thing i've got to really respect space wolves for <laughs> <laughs> not doing that yeah well, well just kind of you know just going nah uh, yeah. like, like, I, I think eventually i can't remember what happened in the second war of armageddon whether they ended up having to um essentially let it happen but they made their they, they they made their thoughts known that that wasn't right especially when all the guard fought so honorably uh, right yeah yeah there was um what was it when angron came right and yeah uh, yeah the the gray knights died almost to a man fighting him and uh, the space wolves were present for it yeah and uh, obviously they they came to a head things came to a head when the gray knights were going to mind wipe slash kill um all their allies in the fight and the Grey Knights yeah. were like, I don't think that that's right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, sorry, the, 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 the Space Wolves thought that's not right. But um, yeah. I, I think it's happened later on as well, where um, I, I'm trying to remember if it was actually at some point in the War in Fenris novels, um, mm. where a similar kind of thing happened. And because they are on Fenris itself, the, the Space Wolves are just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got away with it once, ain't happening again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not and enough. I think, um, it's, yeah, it's a it's a really weird point, I think, in the narrative, the idea that so many military resources would just willingly be disposed of for the sake of maintaining the secret of the Grey Knights, which I guess by extension is supposed to be maintaining the secret of demonhood. Yeah, and, well, yeah I mean, it's not killing the sit for the secret of the Grey Knights so much. Yeah. It's more the questions that by knowing about the Grey Knights um, and what they do uh, is because it literally is. It's just like it's still Imperiums like the warp, you know, is this friendly little thing for traveling and nothing more. <laughs> right. Uh, Avert your eyes. It's, yeah, don't yeah, worry yeah. about what happened in there. Yeah. Nothing is happening. Please discuss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, no, it, it, it is. It's literally because of that. You know, in my way, because you know the existence of demons, um, you know, the immaterium kind of and this, this darker side has to be kept away. Um, especially considering the spiritual nature of humans as well. It's right. uh, you know, it's like what you know, you don't know, you can't worship. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so it is. It's like I, I kind of understand it to a point, but um, yeah, when they're essentially killing off or you know mind wiping uh to the point of like you know essentially lobotomizing you know whole whole fleets of astromilitar right right you know, i mean like uh, that's just it's too it's that is so cost ineffective i mean at a certain point <laughs> yeah it becomes unreasonable I think. yeah i mean the imperial man is a wasteful thing but kind of you know i mean to, to that extent you've got to kind of wonder <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly yeah. and i feel like it's almost just the same like the gray knights are almost making the same mistake that the emperor did in mm. their entire cover-up of the existence of demons and and gods um because yeah it perpetuates the problem because you know, I, I was talking about this with uh, some people in the Discord the other day. That there's the issue of like, I feel like the emperor went about the you know covering up of the warp and everything and the, the true nature of it in the worst possible way. Like he's such a bad dad in that regard because you know you look at Magnus and Magnus was you know he's the equivalent of a very inquisitive and intelligent child. And he's found out this thing that exists and he starts exploring it and reading about it. And then the emperor basically says, don't look at that anymore uh, without explanation. And what would any kid do in that situation? They would, yeah. they, you know, do more research into it when their parents aren't looking. Yeah. It's like, how could the emperor be so naive? And, and I feel like in that regard, you know, it's the same it's almost like the emperor willed it to happen, like by doing that. Um, yeah, I, th I think the way he went about stuff, I, I, I think kind of he was set an impossible task anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is going on a huge segue, but yeah, I mean, um, uh, I kind of understand where he came from with doing it because mm -hmm. he, by denying the warp existence, like in the minds of humanity, yeah. despite the fact that, you know, essentially there was an echo. Um, of you know your thoughts and everything in the walk, right? Um, I think by you know obviously going down the secular route, you know, no one to worship anything. You know, it stops the it stops the um, more acute feelings of you know that kind of really coming to the fore and impacting on you know the material plane, right? Uh, and and also just by denying its existence, despite the fact that he clearly got some of his powers from the war. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of one of those. He kind of, you know, he played the game whereby he's kind of best and then by denying it, it's kind of like it doesn't become so. And I think that was his end goal. Um, sure. With that. Yeah. Then to kind of essentially, again, um, completely cut out um, anything to do with the warp um, for the betterment of mankind. So kind of literally cut it out of everything. Yeah. Um, it was to kind of, you know, get rid of, um, you know, the navigators, uh, right. get rid of, um, you know, the point of having, uh, you know, psychers uh, for anything really mm -hmm. was his general end goal. Um, you know, there's um, bits about the fact that kind of, you know, the reason why Magnus is such a psychic boss uh, and, you know, a, a, a wizard 
you know, on you know Gandalf levels, yeah. uh, is because um, in his greater um, scope, he was looking to essentially put him on the golden throne, right? Um, yeah. You know, um, because he was the one person who would be psychically attuned enough not to die from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, then kind of you know with his Webway project. Um, again, cutting out everything the warp. So I think kind of he was laying the foundations and doing everything he could. I think where he did fail in that it's kind of one of those things, a, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the thing he abided to. But I think he could, I think he, he did everything right, but he went about it the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his goals, I think, were, you know, admirable. And mm. the the thing is that I think he, as far as the ends justifying the means, I think he was willing to do some pretty horrific stuff in order to, you know, eventually better mankind. Um, yeah. I mean, he did some terrible things, but it's yeah. kind of, you know, I mean, like any, like any, like any emperor, really. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and you know, like the the Sisters of Silence, their real purpose seemingly was to eventually destroy all the psychers that he had been employing. Much like the the Thunder Warriors were given this finite lifespan, yeah, you know, eventually they just died out because they served their purpose, and that's like so horrific to think about. But yeah. um, the Space Marines replaced them, and it was like he basically had a contingency where every facet of his of you know his armed forces would eventually kill the previous one, and um, it would become. A new iteration and not just the armed forces but like you said the navigators even just like the the psychic day-to-day stuff that he used as a you know the the way that the imperium was able to function at a galactic level yeah. um, um one of the one of my favorite um horace heresy novels that i'm assuming what book are you on now uh i'm on a thousand suns i think it's like book 13 or something Okay, so at about book fifty, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right around the corner. It's it's, it's fine. It, it'll come. Um, and as for, I just recommend after you do a thousand suns and Prospero burns. Um, it's kind of one of those things. There's a few story arcs where it's good to read in order, but you can mm-hmm. kind of stop and change a lot. Um, but one of the ones I do recommend you read, and it's kind of self-contained in its own right. So it's not going to be too much of a problem. It's uh, Master of Mankind. Okay. Um, and that book is amazing. So many little nuggets and pearls uh, yeah. into, you know, the, the, just the greater 40K law. And it's like just exquisitely done. Um, nice. And I'm not going to try and make it not spoilery. Mm-hmm. Uh, um but throughout throughout that book, it's yeah. uh, and it's kind of it kind of it's not said, but it it is actually said in that book. It's um, you know because he's questioned about it, just like why do you why do you allow these primarchs to call call you father? Right, like you know, and it's just like because he doesn't view them as sons, right? Despite right. the fact that he is you know known for saying it every now and again, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, he to him even the primarchs are a means to the means to an end. They're exactly. Uh, totally, yeah. In regards yeah. to kind of basically you know just yeah bringing the unit bringing the galaxy into compliance, um, mm-hmm. so that way he can go to his next stage. Um, you know, which kind of you know, Lord Arsora's godhood. You kind of got to wonder where he might have gone from there eventually, if not godhood. Right. 
I mean, yeah. you know, kind of once you've got that, once you've got all your pieces in place, I mean, you've got to wonder what was next. Yeah, uh, for sure. Obviously, it will never, you know, we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know now. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's that's part of the joy of it. But yeah, um, yeah, even there, he's just like, you know, it's just like they're not they're not my sons. It's kind of like it's kind of like I allow it because it's just like it kind of. Yeah, it, it it brings this in this um, fraternity and this brotherhood and this kind right. of you know, family vibe, where it's kind of you know it's just like they it makes them essentially more compliant and working towards the task I want them to do, yeah. uh, you know. So there's there's distinct, absolute ruthless coldness to it. Um, oh yeah, he's so inhuman he, yeah. at times. It's it's bewildering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's just uh, yeah, but you know, there, and there's a million and one other things. Uh, I, I'm just not going to spoil. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, too, it's too much of a good read. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, no, so um, that'll be my recommendation. But yeah, okay. definitely, definitely. Thou- I mean, if you're reading Thousand Suns at the moment, Prospero Burns, mm-hmm. next one, reading back to back, it's out of okay. sync, but essentially it's the same story from the different side. Right. And it's kind of one of those things. I mean, for me, it's just like when I read um, A Thousand Sons, they're yeah. really humanizing to the point where it's just like, and then when you read Prospero Burns, mm-hmm. you kind of, it really plays with your head. It's just like, you know, I mean, like, you know, you, you really feel for one chapter and with the other chapter, you're kind of just going, well, I kind of understand how it all came about, but right. at the same time, you're a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's the beauty of you know, these stories is that the loyalty is confusing enough. Like where would your loyalties lie that, that you, it makes the heresy plausible. It makes it, you know, something that you understand and you can understand the motivations at play basically in the hearts of every Primarch and every soldier that, you know, has to make the choice of, are they going to be loyal to their Primarch or to the emperor? And will they abandon the cause they've been fighting for? Will they see enough, chinks in the armor of that plan or or mm. will they be beholden to it blindly or you know is there a real reason that they're that they're doing what they do and it makes so many you know mm. participants in the heresy have a crisis of faith and yeah. i think that's where the great storytelling comes in for sure exactly yeah completely uh, agree. yeah um so in that regard um i think that's a great setup for the next episode of this podcast that we do, yeah. uh, where we talk about the traitor legions and well, it's called the fun legions. <laughs> yeah, the fun <laughs> legions. And and you know, which of those we think are the the best and the worst and uh, why we think those things. And maybe we can waste another two hours of your time uh, with that <laughs> conversation as well. Um, I I never get enough of these. I've had a great time. Likewise. Um, yeah. Thank you so much again, Noel, for coming on to the, to the show with me. This was so awesome. Again, um, thanks for having us, Eric. It's just yeah. like always a joy to chat hobby with you. Really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel the same way. And um, I, I, I'm already buzzing for the next conversation. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we can make that happen real soon. And hopefully you all at home uh, will be hearing this and end that episode not too long from now. Mm. Um, 
But um, I, I was going to say one thing. It's just like sure. again, like the like the last uh, podcast when we uh, talked that went to the towel fluff. Uh, mm. If there's any questions or thoughts or counter arguments to anything we've raised today, yeah. Um, by all means, just kind of you know, let us know. It'd be great to hear everyone else's opinion as well. Yeah, I, I have at least I have at least an inkling uh, that some of you might have different opinions than <laughs> the two of us had, and that they may be very strong opinions. Yeah. So um, I would love to hear them. Yeah, mostly. exactly. Mostly, um, <laughs> mostly. Yeah. Um, so I would love to hear you know what you guys think about the legions and the chapters uh that we've mentioned uh maybe some that we haven't that you that you really like one that i didn't mention that i really love is the crimson fists i didn't even go into them oh, um yeah but i do like them a lot and uh i also really love the um i don't love them as like an army i would collect but i really love the black templars as like their their function in the lore and how different they are yeah um sort of how problematic they can be um, in, <laughs> in the world of the, the chapters. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, there's just so much more to be said and we definitely want to hear what you guys have to say. So please let us know in the uh, Discord, which is free as a reminder, uh, mm -hmm. that you are welcome to come and join in on the conversation and we would love to hear from you. Noel and I would both love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so uh yeah until next time thank you so much and have a stay wonderful awesome. day <laughs> stay awesome you all <laughs> and everyone out there <laughs>
back up and fire, you know, its hull weapon without penalty, or its main gun without penalty. Yeah. You know, like normal, whatever. Maybe it can fire the Sponson, but only at the target it's falling out of combat with. Yeah. Or it can stay or stationary, stay combat. fire the main gun away. At, any, at another target. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the Sponson's at what is right, right. in their fire. And then if you do that, it's like, then the attacking player still has the advantage of right. like their unit is safe because it's yeah. in combat. They're reducing your mobility. But and they're reducing your mobility. But the tank isn't just straight up useless. Yeah. It can still do something. Yeah. I think that would be It's interesting. It's an interesting if it you guys works, have yeah. if you guys have any ideas for like uh an eloquent solution yeah. to what is clearly a problem. It's a bummer. It's and is in a narrative a sense bummer. it's a bummer. And and we don't want to play Basically, I'm going to do my best to set up games where, like, that isn't just going to be happening all the right. time, because I think it's yeah. really annoying. Yeah. Um, I and then pref- maybe we can just avoid it. But. I would prefer to just... I'm always hesitant to mess with the rules. Yeah. Only because, like, you know, we want to keep... I feel like it's better to change... To to play with in, that in mind and be like, we don't want to set up this dumb situation. We'll just try to avoid it. Yeah. As opposed to like changing the rules, because obviously, like, you know, I think as maybe as a viewer, not if I'm wrong, tell me guys, but as a viewer, I feel like it's easier to stomach, like, oh, they're avoiding doing that to set up a fun game to watch versus like, oh, they're changing the rules. Yeah, playing thematically versus like actually changing the the fundamental aspects of the game. Especially too, if a new player is watching, so that there's no, oh, what's a house rule? What's a. Yeah. Um, But I totally agree with you that just like from a narrative sense, like, you're not like I just wouldn't send yeah. one infantryman at a tank. Yeah, and if I did, it wouldn't be with the intention of being like now the tank can't fight. Right, like it's one thing if you've got a unit that has a chance of blowing up a tank. Right, like they're they've if, got save a demo bombs or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's yeah. my fifth rant about this on the podcast, and that's that's I'm very fine. passionate. I think it. it's probably obviously it's, it's one of the most glaring issues in our games, and that's yeah. why it keeps coming up. And and it hasn't been fixed because I don't think GW necessarily thinks it's an issue. I haven't heard other I, people complain about it I much. doubt that it comes up enough in other people's games yeah. because of the um, the types of armies that are probably played. Yeah, that's true. Um, in tournaments. And then, like we're saying, in a narrative game, I imagine a lot of guys who are just going to have fun and, and girls, a lot of people who are going to have fun. Humans, yeah. Uh, and non-humans. Do we know any of them? Um it doesn't matter. Who are going to have a fun game? Yeah. You would hope that they're probably playing like like we're saying. Yeah. They're not looking to like just be a goober and get somebody's tanks right. out of the game. Exactly. Um and you know, yeah. there are some units can can deal with that. I yeah. mean, some armies are capable of dealing with that sort of like oh, they're in your face turn 1. But admittedly, I think that's like what makes Eldar, uh, it makes it's what makes Harlequins and Drakari so strong. Mm-hmm. Is that like that is a very powerful mechanic in the game yeah. right now to be able to tie stuff up, yeah. and they can do it in the first turn. Yeah, and so for an army that suffers like ex- sort of dramatically from that, like a tank heavy list, yeah, it just makes it an impossible. Yeah, like Astro Militarum. Or I shouldn't say impossible. A really good player could probably find some way yeah. to make it a game still. Yeah, but like for someone who doesn't. Like they just want to have a We're just having fun game. Yeah. You know, you don't want to have to think like, 
um, screening perfectly right. and making sure that his base can't fit next to it. It's like, you just want to deploy power like cool models. Yeah. And also, speaking from a narrative perspective, there's a vast difference between what is like functional, like what you being gamey and winning mm-hmm. a victory through the game mechanics and what an army would actually do. Yeah. And like, obviously, we want to try to play it like an army would fight. Yeah. So. We want everyone watching to feel as invested as we feel. Right. In the story. In our in our men, in our boys. Yeah, in our little plastic boys. In our little plastic that d- boys. destroyed our bank accounts. Yeah. And our wives have left us. Yeah. So the least we can do. Is just don't tie up my tanks, please. Yeah, just don't make tanks so I've lost so, so much already. Um, I think that this has been good. We did a good yeah. coverage of the heavy support options. Yeah. Hopefully we gave you guys some, some new ideas to think about. We would love to hear, uh, your opinions on Astro Militarum heavy support. Yeah. And also, uh, what you guys think of that mechanic of, uh, being tied up. Um, yeah. And I mean, if I'm crazy, tell me, I don't think you're crazy. And I think, um, I'd love to hear if you guys like have solutions to that or if you, if like in your personal experience, this hasn't been an issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it has been an issue for us and that's why we talk about it so much. Um, but that we don't want that to be like the end of running Eldar against Astro Militarum. Yeah. Um, so if we can make it work, um, you know, we'll do what we can narratively to make it not be yeah. so unfun. But Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, if you guys have come up against this problem and have solutions, we'd love to hear it. And if you have any other things you'd like to talk about, please join us in the Discord and mm-hmm. uh, and just get started on a conversation. We have yeah a bunch of people in there so now. So many awesome, awesome people just in there. wonderful people. Like, amazingly talented hobbyists. Yep. Super, super nice people who've been in the hobby forever and can just tell you about like anything, everyone, all the, all the lore, all the fluff. Everyone is so kind and yeah. generous in there too. Yeah. And awesome I feel like people. I've, I'm so proud, if nothing else, of the fact that I've cultivated such a positive space for mm-hmm. us to talk shop. Yeah. So that's why I stay away. That's why Jordan's not in there. Yeah. He's, uh... I do. I do. <laughs> I do read. The messages. Yeah. And I'm very humbled by the flag of Jordan emoji, yeah. <laughs> which I didn't realize what that was for a long time. I thought it was the Israeli flag. Yeah, Jesse Jesse <laughs> found the Jordan flag emoji, the country, and he uses it as like a sort of a cheerleader flag yeah. for Jordan, and it I lost it <laughs> when really I first funny. saw it. It's so funny. I do try to catch up. If, be, if you tag me, I, I do skim back and try to find um, the messages and respond to them. I just... Um, I'm not on my computer a lot. My phone's a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to stay caught up. But um, I try to do enough participation for the yeah. entire channel. Yeah. I'm in there a lot. But I do. I read a, <laughs> a lot of the messages. I look at the the awesome pictures that everyone's posting. Yeah, their you models. guys are Someone incredible. posted. I don't know when this podcast will go out. Um, but someone posted today. I'm totally spacing who it was. A picture of their kill team board. And it looked amazing. I think it was Orphan of Candia. Yes, it was. Yeah, his tables uh, are so it was super dense, good. Yeah, and it just looked like so. so I've just cinematic. I wanted to play on it. I know. He's, I was like, his tables get me Jones so hard yeah. to play. It's like, yeah, I was just seeing my my Astro Militarum. Yeah, you know, kill my kill team on that table facing down. You know, like 
orcs or gene stealer cult or whatever in yeah. this like ultra dense hive type yeah i was picturing my like death watch trying to navigate yeah. that and there's like Amazing. gene stealer cults around every corner and and then every time uh, jesse posts pictures of what he's his his tempestus did you see his valkyrie i saw some work in progress a while ago I oh don't man think you I've gotta seen... look at it it's so good i don't know if i can though <laughs> because it's so good and then i look at my models <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that i I think your models are fine. They're fine. But also, Jesse is... That Valkyrie is so good. He's... Yeah. He's really... Got, he's got... He knows how to paint. Yeah. And since we're giving a shout-out to, like, our people in general, like, um, AP Byrne, Andrew, his his prolific painting... Like, every mm-hmm. time I look, he's got, like, a new army mm-hmm. painted. It's, like, unbelievable. Yeah. And then um, Noel's uh, Slaneshi that he'd been, he's been doing are... I think Just I saw. Incredible. Did he post like a d- a d- demon something? Uh, he, well, today he posted like the new Keeper of Secrets that's yeah. coming. But he he his Slaneshi stuff he's put in the paint um section and yeah, he's gotten like a bunch of the Slaneshi the new Slaneshi stuff that has been released. I feel like I saw some sort of crazy demon a week or two ago in yeah, the painting thing. It was probably him. That looks insane. He's, he's unbelievably good. Yeah, like. Noel's like professional level paint. It's yeah. so good. I I love it. I Just, love seeing that. Yeah, to all of you, I am so impressed and I'm so flattered that I've created a space for all of you to share yeah. your work. And um I hope that we can just get more wonderful people like you all the time cuz it's it's magnificent. Yeah. It's humbling. It is humbling. It's very it's, humbling. Yeah. Um and it inspires me to work harder Mm -hmm. when it's not inspiring me to quit the hobby (laughs) and cry in a corner because i'll never ever be what you guys are that's sort of more where i'm at yeah the other side of that is that sometimes i'm inspired to do uh work on my models yeah and and the channel so um thank you guys so so much thank you and you're the reason we do this. I hope mm-hmm. you guys enjoy it. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about yeah. for two hours, for two hours, because that's that's the mark what we're we just do, past. apparently. <laughs> uh, give us a shout yeah. and uh, t- and talk to us in the Discord, and we'd be happy to eventually address it. And hopefully, we'll have a lot more podcasts coming out because I've like tried to get a lot of talent involved so yeah. that as many people can be contributing to this as possible. Yeah. And to you who do, also thank you so much. It's it's just. It's all just so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, that's uh, that's it for now. I think we've done enough talking. Yeah, we've done enough damage. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye.